should I do the intro or okie doke? <laughs> if you're sure. I don't think he's well, ever sure about anything. I just want to make sure you're sure. I don't why want to we, get Why don't we put this to committee and we'll see. I am not a committee. Is. I'm Captain Benjamin Sisko. Welcome to Deep Space Nine. Red alert. All crew members report to battle stations. Red alert. Shields up. What shields? You're sparkling officers. Now start acting like it. Oh, it's just Garrick. Plain, simple Garrick. Dax, we might have just discovered the first stable wormhole known to exist. The wormhole does bring them our way, doesn't it? Everyone wants a piece of the new frontier. This will shortly become a leading center of commerce and of scientific exploration. And for Starfleet, one of our most important posts. Quite a motley crew you've assembled here, Benji. Listen to the prophets at Deep Space Nine Podcast. And here are your hosts, Andrew Leyland, Paul Spataro, and Dr. Bill Robinson. Bloody hell. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Listen to the Prophets. I'm David Pascarella, and I'm joined with our producer and commander-in-chief, Paul Spataro. Ex-producer. <laughs> uh, so does that mean Matt- you're an executive producer now? That's, that's exactly my role now. I am executive producer. I facilitate the production. Right. And behind the scenes, Jay David is, t- is the, our producer. Yes, true. The bell curve of your career, you're getting closer to the door. Closer to the end than I am to the beginning. That's right. Our chief medical officer, Admiral Dr. Bill Robinson. Man, I just got in from Caleb 4. Uh, let me see. Is that <laughs> Boy, a Federation outpost? <laughs> and our knight in shining armor, Sir Andrew Leyland. This is Caleb 4! Oh, it's Caleb 5, man. Set the Alpha 5 exploded six months after we were left here. Everything was laid waste. Talk about a blast from the past. Do we have any news? Uh, Picard's finished. Yeah, as we, as we record, Picard just finished. <laughs> In our old news section of the show. Yeah. <laughs> it's Today, like the, uh, news uh, you already knew. Yeah, okay. So that that concluded. It, it's, it's ended and Bill hated it. Yeah, Bill loathed every second of it. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Bill hates everything. That's Bill right. Except for Czech cereal. I'm just a curmudgeon. I don't like Czech cereal, and it's, it's wait a minute. No, it's uh, it's not Czechs. It's, uh... Isn't it Czechs? Life, it's life. Oh, it's life, you're right. So yeah, I love, I love the, I love the cinnamon life. Mm-hmm. I thought Bill liked to be paid in cash. Shh. Well, that, that's no, it's no good at the minute. No one's dealing with cash. No one's handling cash. No one wants to handle it. We're, we're on our way to the Star Trek future of no money. We've, we've evolved beyond that. <laughs> yeah, right. Yes, for quite different reasons. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, that finished. And, and I'm sure we all have different opinions on it. Uh, you know, uh, did we all watch it yet? I have yeah, yeah, I watched it. Oh, okay, Dave. Uh, well, we can't talk about that. Then, then. I, then I don't want to say anything. Uh, yeah. It's all right. I, I thought, you know... Uh, I enjoyed it for the most part. I think, like I said to you when we were texting each other about it, I think it was about time that Star Trek actually went forward. If you think about it, it's been 20 years of nothing but prequels and reboots. Um, I have my problems with it in the sense that, like I said to Paul, it's Blake 7, not Star Trek. You know, the, the actual Star Trekiness of it is very minimal, really. But the show is called Picard. 
more than it's called Star Trek. I mean, I do want a show that is another crew on another Enterprise just going boldly. I don't see why that's so difficult for these Imaginauts to come up with. Just do what Gene did. But it sounds like Discovery is going to try and do that in its third season, but it's still not going to be the same. They're not on the Enterprise. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise, remember? Mm-hmm. I would just say, uh, and it's what, again, what, you know, Andy said, like we were text- texting back and forth yesterday after we watched it. Uh, the moments I enjoyed the most in this season were kind of the fan uh, pandering scenes. Uh, so I would have liked it if we had, saw, had seen more of that, but I'm not so sure that that would have been popular with the masses either. No. Well, the, the, when when Patrick Stewart was accepting the pitch, there were going to be no Next Generation characters in it at all. It was all going to be about him. And then as they've gone along, they've been like, well, we kind of need to at least touch on what the others are up to. Because one of my thoughts, when he when he gets the diagnosis about his Iriadi syndrome or brain scan or whatever he's doing in the first episode, why make it the Doctor from the Stargazer? Why was that not Beverly? Uh, a little one scene I, cameo from Beverly, though, still being his doctor. I don't know. If we go with, if we Gates go McFadden with... didn't, wasn't available. In what way was uh, she not available? <laughs> Maybe she didn't want to do it. That's being nice. She didn't want to do it. Yeah. But what, you know, uh, if we go with the storyline that we got in uh, All Good Things, they would be married and divorced by now. So yeah. Well, there's been. Maybe they could have said, well, they never went down that future, did they? That future never happened because Troy's still alive. So I just just thought that that was a perfect place to slide in a Gates McFadden cameo. And and if I was LeVar Burton and Michael Dorn, I'd be really pissed off right about now. Mm. All right, yeah, you want to bring back the Borg, babe, but you don't want to bring back Worf. And in actual fact... Going through the whole thing, I actually liked Jerry Ryan Seven of Nine probably more than anyone else because it does seem, yeah, it does seem like this entire show has been undercutting Picard at every available opportunity. They've told him to shut the f- up. They've told him he's full of fucking hubris. Every time he gets to make one of his speeches, they cut him off. So I did like no spoilers for Dave, but I did like that the conclusion was him finally getting to make a speech because essentially that's what he does. And telling them to f- off. No, he he doesn't do that. And again, no, that he, he that says we surrender. Me. I mean, yeah, <laughs> no, he does not say that either. That bu- the swearing bugged me. I'm a big fan of swearing, especially when it's creatively done, like in Spartacus, where it is just brilliantly written into the dialogue and the language. But it's not necessary in Star Trek. And that Romulan woman, who let's be honest, was hot as hell. Oh, that yeah. Romulan woman saying, "Did you?" any of them what was the point of that why was that even necessary because it's edgy Ooh, sorry oh, okay all right sorry that's, i need to get that one out no that's my problem i agree entirely with you on that criticism it's trying too hard to be adult yes oh look we're adults that, we could swear and start yeah. well you know what we're all, it would be different if, now if like in the movies because they couldn't really do it on the tv show but it's like this whole society and people in Star Trek was is you know we've evolved we've come to this point you know we've gotten past certain things oh yeah but we're just going to dr- now that we've got a show to where we can just drop the f bomb by God we're going to use it and and Star Trek should Whatever. be all ages and all ages does not mean a children's show all ages means no. Deep Space Nine's not a children's show yeah 
Pixar have mastered all ages. And it seems to me like the majority of writers in television nowadays cannot do that. They don't know how to write an all ages television show. And, and it, you know, to be fair, it would have to be, you know, Pixar is, is presenting comedies and, and, you know, not always. Well, actually, I, and I'm gonna, I was going to say something that, I'm, that was wrong. I was going to say they're not always going with sophisticated concepts. But what, a movie like Up actually was very, a very sophisticated yeah. concept. Uh, is, there, is there a more emotionally resonant moment for adults than the first 10 minutes of Up? So yeah, I, I agree. Uh, so you know you can do you, they can do this and present an all ages show, much like the original Star Trek or every Star Trek that was ever on regular TV is an all ages mm-hmm. show. You know, just now that we're getting into uh, streaming, that we can say, oh, let's be edgy. Well, you, I got a, a flash for you. Do, do any of you watch that show on the History Channel called Project no. Blue Book? <laughs> Well, I've been watching, and season one was pretty good. Season two starts. Uh, this is on the History Channel. I'm watching the first episode, and I'm a little, you know, diverted. And one of the characters is saying about a mission, and he goes, yeah, if that happens, I didn't do my fucking job. And I paused for a moment, and I said, what did he say? Back it up, sure enough. And for the whole second season... Almost every episode, they had a work and effort. Because they're allowed. And, and I didn't even know they were allowed. The History Channel, I thought, was regular television. I didn't think it's you could say it on television. TV. It's not over-the-air huh. television, so it doesn't have the same restrictions. Well, in all honesty, it's a lot of F-bombs and words dropped in the military. So I'd... <laughs> yeah, well, that, that's that's fine. You know, if they'd done it in Which, something you know, like... You know, if they do it in a military show, no problem. And The Walking Dead, we've discussed this before. It doesn't yeah. make sense that they're not cussing up a storm in The Walking Dead. But Star Trek doesn't need it. Star Trek can be adult and edgy if it wants to be, without being, without just having a lot of unnecessary swearing. Deep Space Nine. These two episodes that we're going to talk about today are edgy, and they're dark, and they're adult, and they're exploring subject matters that isn't necessarily a kids' medium or in a kid's show. But they didn't, you know, they don't have to swear every five minutes because they can't. Well, we learned in Star Trek 4 that people didn't talk that way yeah. anymore. And when that's they true. do it in that's the film, true. yeah, that's true. And when, so you can, I suppose then you may be able to get away with it with Discovery, which takes place, what, 200 years before Star Trek 4? 100 years, whatever. 50 years, mm-hmm. whatever. But by the oh, time yeah, you get to, well, by the time you get to Picard, I mean, I suppose they'll argue that you know Picard never swore or Riker never swore or whatever and it's like so why does anyone have to well I, I say this with full knowledge that I do not have a very clean vocabulary, so please don't think I'm trying to insult anybody else <laughs> neither but, do I but when I, speak, when, I, when I talk to my children who are now adults about language and swearing and that type of thing I always make the point of pe- people curse because they don't have the ability to express themselves intelligently without cursing sometimes so to me cursing is a sign of (coughs) either laziness in choosing your words or a lack of intelligence and again i'm guilty of this just like anybody else uh so i kind of feel like the more intelligent the character that you're showing the less they should be cursing so that kind of goes to picard being one of the most intelligent characters so he doesn't does that i mean does that make sense well that's the way you feel well well, well, 
Well, double dumbass on you. And, and again, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm throwing myself on the sword saying I curse too. And it's, I'm not sitting here, you know, passing judgment on other people. But I'm saying when I curse, I said I, afterwards I sit in there and I say, yeah, I, I probably could have said that better. And I heard after you told the kids that they looked at you and said the effing you, Barack. <laughs> yeah, see, that was that was the most egregious one. It's like she could have she could have made the point just as easily, but <laughs> I can't say because Dave's off. Her arc should have ended differently. Put it that way. Anyway, anyway. so it's a good thing we had nothing to talk about <laughs> in, in our in our uh, preamble here. Yeah, well, overall, overall, I found the show very entertaining. I enjoyed it on a week by week basis. I think if you went back and watched all ten of them, like binged it, it may give you a better, slightly more interesting take on it than it already had. I, I did enjoy it. I didn't think it was a complete waste of time. I didn't lose interest in it. Whereas if Discovery had ended in a different way than season two did end, I probably wouldn't be interested in watching season three. Picard was much better than Discovery. Yes, yes, much. it was much, much better, than, better Discovery. than Discovery season two. I agree. No, I, I think it's better than Discovery. I do too. I would, I would, put, it, I would put it on the evil, even level with the first season of Discovery. Mm-hmm. With the caveat that they haven't done anything as good as the best episodes of the original and Next Gen and Deep Space Nine. Yeah, I mean, if I was listing my favorite episodes ever, I don't think I would... You know, if it was just list the best episodes of Star Trek ever and put together your top 15, I don't think any episodes of Discovery or Picard are getting onto that list. Let's just... Uh, no, no, may, uh, the, the, the episode of Picard with Riker and Troy in May make it. But largely because I thought the daughter was brilliant. I want to show about her. I want to show set ten years in the future where she's captain of the Enterprise. <laughs> so, so what's happening on DS9? Well, this week we go once more into the, the breach. breach. Will one warrior's quest for glory help me fight again? Become one final fight for survival? On the next Star Trek Deep Space Nine. This week's episode is Season 7, Episode 7, directed by Alan Croker, Crocker. written by Ro- Crocker, Croker, you say Crocker, I say Croker. I just like to say the word that way. <laughs> written by Ronald D. Moore, featured music by Dennis McCarthy. It originally aired November 11th, 1998, kind of appropriate on Veterans Day. Guest appearances, we have John Calicos as Core. J.G. Hertzler as General Martok, Neil C. Vipond as Darok, Nancy Youngblunt as Kalana, Blake Lindsay as Sinon, and Mark Allen Shepard as Morn. <coughs> and the plot opens. <coughs> An aging and increasingly senile Daha Master Corps has lost influence in the Klingon Empire. He comes to Deep Space Nine to ask Worf for help in securing a starship command and a chance to die in battle. Worf brings the request to General Martok, who is planning a raid deep into Cardassian space with five birds of prey. Martok angrily rejects the request. Core once rejected a young Martok's application to become an officer based on Martok's poor, low-class lineage. The general still holds a grudge. As a compromise, and not aware of Kor's poor mental health, Worf appoints Kor as the third officer of the Ch- Chetang, Martok's ship. Once aboard, Kor recounts old war stories to a crew enthused with having a living legend among them. 
However, this changes after the first battle, when Martok and Worf are temporarily incapacitated, and Kor is forced to take command. Kor's senility causes him to relive an old battle and give inappropriate commands. Disaster is averted when Martok and Worf recover and resume command. Kor's pride is severely hurt, as Martok and much of the crew mock him. Worf is forced to remove the Daha Master from duty, but blames uh. himself. <laughs> he said duty. But but blames himself for placing Kor in an untenable situation. Martok also realizes mocking Kor has brought him no pleasure. The pair agree to appeal to Chancellor Gowron to find a worthy and suitable place for Kor. As the cloaked Klingons return to friendly space, they discover ten Jem'Hadar ships are in pursuit and will intercept them before they reach safety. Worf prepares to embark on a suicide mission and one bird of prey to delay the pursuers and allowing the remaining ships to escape. Kor learns of Worf's plan from Darok, an old Klingon who is Kor's age and is sympathetic to his plight. Kor's pride is rekindled when he realizes only his lifetime of experience can make the plan work. It is also the warrior's death he has been longing for. As such, the Daha Master surprises Worf with a hypospray, sedates him, and takes his place. However, before Kor transports out, he tells Worf that when he reaches the halls of the honored dead, he will find Jadzia Dax, and tells her that Worf still loves her, and that he only brings her honor every day. Martok and his crew observe the battle from the Chitang Bridge. Martok belatedly discovers Kor's action when Worf joins him. Against the odds, Kor succeeds in delaying the Jem'Hadar. An incredulous Martok is first to toast Kor's noble end, and the crew sing to Kor's victory. The end. Well, what do we think about this? I'm not crying. You're crying. Yeah. I, I love this one. I thought it was genuinely solid. The fact that they've they didn't just pull core out of the ether, that he's been semi regular since Deep Space Nine came through. The idea that he's an old guy on his last legs and he's going slightly senile, and Klingon culture doesn't tolerate old people. You're expected to have died in battle long before Core died. All the stuff of him living on his past glories. And one of the things that I really didn't like about it the first time I saw it, but really appreciated this time, is we don't see the, the, the big battle at the end. We don't see his death scene. Because this time, I actually got that that is entirely what Wolf's talking about in the opening, where Bashir and, oh, and O'Brien are, are arguing about Davy Crockett. And Wolf says how he died doesn't matter. If he's a legend, then he's a legend. If he's just a man, doesn't matter. And this is about the legend of Kor. It's about the, somebody's legendary status. It's not about who they are as a person. It's like you can enjoy somebody's work while not really appreciating that as a person they were terribly nice. And that's what this is. It's appreciating the legend and not the man. Hmm. And when the legend becomes fact, print, print the, the legend. legend. Yeah, I'm pretty much in agreement. I really like the fact... You know, I, I really enjoyed the fact that DS9 brought back the original series Klingon villains, and you guys mm. put villain in quotations. Uh, I thought that was, you know, a really smart and well thought out move, and I'm glad that they gave Kor kind of his send off because he didn't get that the first time around. So they did that. Now they brought him back again, and I, th I think they really 
you know, like thought about this and said, we we got to work in an episode for him if we can. At least mm. that's the way it felt to me. And I think they, they really tried to give him, uh, you know, a proper set up, a send off. And I think it worked really, really. I mean, you saw it coming. It wasn't, you know, there wasn't no. any surprises in this one. But mm. it was very satisfying as they did it. I thought they did it in a way where his character is well served. Uh, just just all around, you know, just an enjoyable episode to watch. It was a little uncomfortable to watch it when he was failing early on and when he was being, you know, disrespected to some extent. But overall... Well, that's when he gives that great speech mm-hmm. to, all, to all of them that puts him in his place. To, in Don't get old. Place. Yeah, savor the savor the fruit of life. You know, he even the way he does it, it I can't do justice to it because it's so... Mm-hmm. Colicost was great, wasn't As it? an actor, I think he's I mean, he for for so many times he's just used as the villain, and yeah, he chews the scenery, but damn, he chews it great. Mm. Yeah, well, th- th- there's a reason that the Klingons left, and it's because of his performance in that very first time we saw them, without the benefit of the pasty slaps on his head and the long makeup and the the language he created a fully three dimensional villain in a 50 minute television episode that basically. <laughs> basically kept the Klingons going throughout the years, because everyone always referred back to Kolikos's core. And they've actually said many times they wanted to bring him back in the original show and couldn't, for whatever reason, because he was in demand actor. And it's it's quite sad, but also appropriate. This was Kolikos's swan song. This was the last thing he did before he died in 2000. Now, I mm. loved the makeup that they gave him, because there's a scene, the early on scene with him talking to Worf, you see them standing right next to each other, and you see, like, the ridges on his head are kind of worn away. They're not as, as sharp as what Worf has on his head. And it looks like there's a little, f- like, a layer of fuzz, almost like, you know, what, what old men get growing on their ears mm. on, on, mm. his, on his cap or whatever you want to call it, his forehead. Uh, just, I thought it was really, really effective the way they did that. And maybe in, in high definition that stood out more because I had not noticed that before. Yeah, possibly. I, did, I didn't notice because I ended up watching it on my phone while I was having dinner. But it, it would, it would, wouldn't surprise me that they put that effort in to do that. Even under the makeup, he's able to just bring so much more with the little movements, with you know, mm-hmm. being unsure of himself and the looks. It just he just brings so much to this. Yeah, but also it's such a good story for Martok. And I love the the semi realism of the Martok has held this grudge against Core. Mm-hmm. all this time and Code doesn't even remember it which I thought was a really wonderfully subtle way of, of saying look grudges don't matter it's not going to get you anywhere the the the, ayah, the the subject of your ayah may not even remember that they did what you are blaming them for but I also like that at the end of the story Martok doesn't change he acknowledges Core's place in legend but he doesn't sing to him you know for me this episode mirrored so much from real history to be honest, from uh, the t- title from Shakespeare, the mentioning of Davy Crockett and the way he lived and died, almost saying what's going to be coming. When Kor first went to see Worf, you know, to ask for a command, what that sang out to me from history was General Patton in World War II. After the Sicily operation where he slaps a soldier and then he goes on to make some remarks in England about, you know, after the war, it's going to be the U.S. and the British running the show. He's put out to pasture. And 
it's real, but specifically from the movie with George C. Scott. He's raging that he can't accept there's an entire world at war, and I'm left out of it. And for me, that that was core, you know, to a T. And Patton used to, you know, describe himself as an old cavalry commander from his early days. Moving on, when you bring in the relationship between Martok and Kor, I mean, in real life, there wasn't that animosity. But those two men are Patton and Bradley. Mm. Patton was a, came from a rich military history. They had money. They were comfortable. When they started out, Patton was above Bradley. Bradley came, his father was a school teacher, and he was poor as a child growing up. And in the course of the war, the roles reverse, where Patton winds up beneath Bradley, and Bradley's the one who goes on to do all these great things and become the first chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. So I thought that was interesting that that kind of mirrored the two of them. Mm. And as you move on through the episode... It gets to the point where Kor is getting senile, he's losing his mind a little bit. And there were, there are those who say the same thing kind of happened to Patton. That, you know, he went from commanding uh, 3rd Army and 7th Army going into Germany. And then once the war ended, he quite didn't want the war to end. That he wanted to expand it and go into Russia. And people thought he lost his mind and he was relieved of duty. Which kind of, and subsequent to that, you know, he dies in a car accident of all things. Similarly, the end of Core also mirrors a little bit the end of another one of my favorite World War II generals, General MacArthur, guy who fought in World War One, fought in World, won the Pacific War in World War Two, started in Korea, and he could not accept that the world had changed. He knew how to fight wars only one way kind of in my mind mirrored what Cole was doing except he was really going backwards to the point where he had to get relieved by the president and he gives a speech that's very similar to what Cole gives before you know he fades away on his last mission old soldiers never die they just fade away for me these two characters in this episode it mirrored US history I loved it I thought it was great you know, we've, we've talked in some earlier episodes about how DS9 may have been set up to reflect some uh, English history. And one of the listeners had sent in an email where they kind of laid that out for us. And I remember finding that fascinating and thinking, yeah, they probably, even though I was fully unaware of it as I was watching those episodes. And now, as you point that out, I'm you know, vaguely familiar with some of the history that you're talking about, but not nearly as conversant in it as you are. So that had all gone over my head. But as you pointed out, I'm thinking, yeah, they, they probably did do a little research into that or had the knowledge to begin with. And, and did that, and, and I find that fascinating, and it just adds a whole layer to this, to an episode I already enjoyed uh, that I hadn't that I hadn't even considered, and it just makes it even better. So thanks for sharing that. Yeah, that was that was really interesting. It's Ronald Moore. Ronald D. Moore's a history, a military history buff, mm. and he wrote this episode. And Dave, if you haven't, I think you should go and watch the new Battlestar Galactica because he wrote that, and there's an awful lot of that in that show. Oh yeah. Maybe we should move on to that at some point in the future. Yep. Maybe we should. Already starting to think about where we're going from here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just, but just I, don't, I, I just think don't. based on based on the historical military stuff you brought to this show, I think you'd like Galactica a lot. 
Just oh, don't yeah. leave a just don't leave a cat in a briefcase. <laughs> You'll get that if you watch it, Dave. Eventually. <laughs> or was the cat in the briefcase? We'll never know. Very true. <laughs> <laughs> it was Schrodinger's uh, cat in the briefcase. Uh, it was Rollo Lumpkin's cat in the briefcase. <laughs> so, what else we got? Uh, the little B story between Ezri and. Well, it starts off between Ezri and, and Kira. I thought it was lovely. It was nice to just have them have two women moments, but also to have Kira realise she'd be a shit counsellor. <laughs> that was absolutely just that line. Yeah. Stop being an idiot. Go back to work. Next. <laughs> <laughs> that's not something that we hadn't realised. <laughs> no, no, that's true. And Quark overhearing the conversation and telling her not to pursue a relationship with Worf. I loved Ezra's reaction to that. That was sweet and lovely and very embarrassing. So it was nice that the B plot didn't really play into the A part and, and wasn't really anything to do with anything. But it was a nice little bit of comic relief away from the heavy stuff that was going on on the Klingon ships. And I love Martok. I really do like Martok. He's become one of my favourite supporting characters. Yeah, he's he's because he he's predictable kind of in what he does, but he doesn't feel two dimensional despite that. No. Well, it's nice to meet another Klingon who's as honourable as Worf. It did seem like the Klingons spent forever banging on about honour, and yet they were all underhanded, backstabbing bastards. Yeah, just apart from Worf. fighting between houses. Yeah, and there was only Worf who truly did have any honour. And so it's nice to meet another Klingon who recognises in Worf that honour, but also has it himself. Because I thought at the end where he didn't sing to Kor, I thought he was just being true to himself. No, uh, I I read a little bit um, like in the in the in the longer synopsis of the story on Memory Alpha, it says that he was singing because he was stunned and marveling at the at the heroic feat that Core um, had done. Not that he was not honoring, like that he was more just like he still couldn't believe that Core did it. <laughs> was was what was written there, but that could be someone's impression. Also, I mean, because I see both sides that that it could have been. Yeah, either he's like, yeah, either he's stunned in the silence or he still holds a little bit of a grudge and isn't going to acknowledge it. So it could go either way. See, I I prefer that one. I think that's Martok. Martok can't let go of that slight from 20, 25 years earlier that Kor didn't even remember. And although he's acknowledging the legend, he knew the man. But he's never going to say anything because he's going to let the legend print the legend. Core went out in a blaze of glory. Let it let that be his last battlefield. If you want to put yeah. it that way. I like I like Martok's um, assistant. We'll say yes. Who just takes the him. piss out of him? <laughs> and he's like, one day I won't need your services. Oh, I just can't wait until that happens. You basically, it's like great. Yeah, you get the impression that he's an old warrior as well, who has somehow managed to not die. So he's end up he's ended up being assigned to be Martok's secretary, and he hates every minute of it. It's like don't don't threaten me with death. I'm ready. <laughs> one, one but I like I guess, he, oh. No, I was just going to say he was the only one on the ship who had any time for core as well, though. Well, yeah, but, er- but everybody had, yeah, yeah, because everybody, you know, it's like everybody loves Raymond, everybody loves Core when it starts, but then, you know, he he screws up in battle, and that was a pretty good scene where, uh, you know, Martok was straight up going to kill Core when he 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 chucked the knife at him and Worf caught it and then smacked mm-hmm. Core and knocked him out of, out, out of the command chair, 
That was a pretty intense scene right there. Yeah, yeah, and really well handled. Wolf, John, John Colicos. Michael Dorn's great in this one as well, though, isn't he? I think uh-huh. we overlook Michael Dorn a lot because he's doing just as the amount of heavy lifting that the other guys are doing under all that latex. That's true. That's true. I think he is un- underappreciated sometimes because mm. some of the things he does are not really in your face. Yeah, he's not as showy as Kor or, or Martok in many ways. Which I think is true to his character. Yes. He, you know, he he's less flamboyant because he was raised a little differently. He certainly honors the Klingon ways and, and the traditions and all, but he still was raised on Earth. So I think he, you know, he's he's almost got a little bit of a Spock thing going, where he's, you know, got two different parts of his, you know, of his background and his way of doing things. Hmm. Uh, I was going to go somewhere and I've totally forgotten. Uh, <laughs> one of the things I just like is I, 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 every time I think of the title of this episode, I, in my mind I hear Christopher Plummer yelling it out from Star Trek Six. Cry, Harak. Yeah, that's that's what just that that particular way of speaking just jumps out at me. I'd give real money if he'd shut up. <laughs> I don't um, know if I don't know if uh, lower-ranking people would have laughed when it was obvious he was starting to lose his mind. Not in our society, but this is different. You know, I he has obviously society. shown himself weakened as a warrior. So, yeah, and I think you know, in their society, somebody who's well, weakened as a warrior, they'd be looking to take him out. Yeah, yeah. well. Yeah, because now it's like, well, hey, I can move up in rank because we saw that in other Klingon-centric uh, shows. But it's all instigated. None of them did it until Martok started. So it's like once Martok opened the door when he came in, then they all jumped in. Mm. Mm. So he kind of said, hey, you know, go ahead. It's, um, you know, I'm allowing it, basically. He was condoning it, and then they all started. Yeah, yeah, that was a tough, tough scene to watch. But that's one of the things that makes Martok three-dimensional is that you know he's even though he clearly does have a sense of honor, he's got his own failings. He's not perfect. Mm-hmm. You know, his his way of reacting to to Core is is wrong. You know, the holding a grudge and all of that. But it's understandable, and it makes his character more more, more three-dimensional. But, and the fact he's a better man because what well, he's instead of just being you know now you know he still he he says that he had he had his moment and he took no joy in it you know when wharf comes and sees him on the bridge just sitting there or in his chair i don't know i don't remember where he 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 walked in on him but he you know he says his speech about you know when suddenly i find myself you know here and i've i've had that moment and it sucked i didn't get what i wanted I didn't get my revenge. So now he's questioning, you know, I've I've been mad at this man for all this time, and now it's just empty and hollow. Well, the world is hollow. And, and I have touched, touched the sky. The sky. <laughs> oh, these titles just jump out of you. Hmm. So what did we think of this one? Well, we you're, you're the first, Dave. You are the first. I, you're, you're a Jem'Hadar. I absolutely love this episode. I think it was one of the best ones for the reasons I've stated, and I would give it five birds of prey. Um, I, I, you know what? I think I'm going to give this a five as well. Um, five blown up outposts on not Caleb four. Um, something we didn't touch on real quick. Uh, I 
the you know because they're using now they're using the full digital models and it seemed like some of the some of the effects were uh, pretty good, especially in the scenes with uh, the birds of prey swooping in around the planet. Um, like the really quick, quick movements, maybe more so than we've seen in the past when they were actually using models. Like it, it seemed like the fully digital effects were were pretty cool. So, so yeah, five, five, uh, five, uh, not Caleb four. <laughs> Caleb fives. Five Caleb fives. Yeah, that's yes. Because that would be not five. Caleb four. Yeah, um, uh, five Klingon bridges. All right, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be the the downer on this one because I oh, only God, I only ranked only ranked it as a four point. Oh, brings the misery, God! I only ranked so, it as why? a four point why? five. I'm sorry. Why? What was wrong with it? What was wrong? Yeah, with why, it? why why can you not give it that point five? You miserable get. <laughs> what was was the gawk too effing cold for you? <laughs> it wasn't even alive. <laughs> You are gonna go 0.5 lower than everyone else just to be different. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm I'm going to leave it at the score I had it on before we started speaking because I'm not a conformist. <laughs> oh, you rebel! Oh, you all ranked it a five, so I have to two. <laughs> I ranked it as a 4.5. I thought this was a great episode. I really enjoyed it. It's just not. If I was ranking the best episodes of the series, it wouldn't be in the very, very, very top. It would be slightly below a couple of others that I liked even more than this one. See, I, I thought this was the best of the Bring One of the Klingons back from the original show episode. In fact, I think that's a very best. small category, isn't it? Well, I think they've done the it best three or four the times. Bring the Klingons from the original show back episodes. There were two. No. There was, was four it, three? The, uh, what was There's it, three? at least four or five. No. There are not yes. four or five. Okay, we've had the other one with Core. We had the one with all three of them. That's three, and I think there's one more. I don't think there is. I don't know. So, whatever. I'm sorry, now you're going to look I it up real quick, you aren't you? What? Now now you're going to look it up real quick, aren't you? No, now I'm going to lower oh. my rating to a 4.0. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now I'm going to stay at 4.5, because that's the rating I had all along. Okay, was John Colicos in all of them? I think so. I'm trying to look up Core real quick to you see. see. I think you're going to look it up. Meanwhile, you're looking it up. <laughs> of course okay. I am. Okay. Right, Core was in Once More Into the Breach, The Sword of Kalos, and Blood Oath. That's three. So that's three. <laughs> you know, you saw Core. Well, he was also in Aaron of Mercy and the original series and the animated series, The Time Trap. So that's fine. But in Time yeah. Trap. He wasn't so, played by John Colicos. Shut up. <laughs> and, and I'm pretty sure Errand of Mercy was not a bring back the original Klingons from the original series episode. Well, you know, if you truck core east of Texas, it's bootlegged. <laughs> <laughs> Denim four and down. <laughs> so, okay. So that's what I thought, and that's what you guys thought. But what did Blaine think? Uh, oh no, there was there, there was the muse. Oh no, he didn't play Kang in the muse. Oh, as much as it pains us, it, it may be we may have to acknowledge that Paul's right, Bill. Well, you know, even Say a blind. It Say it. Even Say even it. a blind Klingon finds Gok <laughs> twice a day. Twice a day. Yeah, that's it. On, Which just really so makes that metaphor. Give me, give me this one. Throw me this bone. <laughs> so, do I have any Blaine song? 
we just gonna sit here no, and complain? Me, me and Bill are still sulking at you for only giving him four point five. Make up your own song. Yeah, yeah. Well, Dave wanted me to do the the okay, theme the pack. Ready? ready? Core. What is he good for? <laughs> <laughs> only a four point five. <clears throat> Say it again. Anyway, Blaine says, "Hi guys. Gee, another Klingon episode." I suppose the upside to this being the final season is that we're going to run out of these shortly. What happens to a Klingon warrior so adept that he outlives the opportunity to die young? What if he survives so many battles that he has a chance to get old and senile? These are questions worth exploring, and they are done fairly well. I'm a little irritated that Martok, who has so often been the star of the episodes he's been in, spends most of this episode petulant due to a long-standing grudge, but it mostly works. One final comment related to next week's episode. I don't know what Andy has planned for his next time bit, so I'm saying this to all listeners here and now. Do not multitask. Plan to give this episode your undivided attention. Do not plan to do anything but think about it for several minutes immediately after it has ended. You have been warned. Blaine. Wow. Mm. You're in trouble, Andy. Why? What have I done now? <laughs> I don't know. Blaine Blaine doesn't like the way you do your next time. Well, I just won't do it then. So, so Paul, what are we it, doing next it. time? That's <laughs> it for Once More Unto the Breach. Do we want to read a piece of email, perhaps? I believe that's in Andy's contract, isn't it? Uh, I'm, I'm multitasking. Give me, give me a second. Multitask boy. <laughs> now, okay, loading Gmail. Our first email is from Vedic Boring. In relation to Wayne Boring. No, our first email is from Anthony Imbrogno. See, that's what I get for multitasking. Vedic Boring. <laughs> hey, guys. So much trouble. <laughs> I was listening to Resurrection recently and had comments on your hate on for Vedic Burial. I understand why you don't like him, but he did have a purpose for being Kira's lover. She was hot, and so was he. Why did the writers and producers do this? Because, as you know, Star Trek tries to cater to a diversity of peoples, and so I think they were giving their female and gay male audience something nice to look at. <laughs> uh, that, okay, right, I'll, I'll go with that answer. Not quite as hot as it was for you guys with Jerry Ryan, but for a gay teenager, he was fine and ethical. He took the fall to protect Kai Opaka. Does that make him a hero? I don't know. But it's definitely honourable. Burial is the wharf of the show before they actually just went and brought in wharf. I like wharf very much, but did the guy ever take his shirt off? <laughs> that is an excellent point, Anthony. Wharf never took his shirt off, and that's why he's not as good as Captain Kirk. Because of all this, it occurred to me as a writing that I'd like to say to Iris Stephen Burr that he can tick the gay box on DS9's tackling of social issues in the documentary. Ira, maybe it wasn't perfect for gay equality, but some of us got what you were doing. I think DS9 is still the best series of Trek for being just about as brave and bold and crafty in the 90s as Gene and the rest were in the 60s. So thank you. And for the lot of you podcast hosts, lay off Burial just a bit. Please. I mean, he's kind of a little boring. I get it. You're not wrong for disliking him, but he ain't for you. Fair play. All right. If, if you're, you've got the hot Anthony for Vanit Burial, who are we to say you're wrong? One last point, and this is no tea, no shade, because I really enjoy the podcast, but going forward, I'd love to know what your wives think too, especially for the more romantic oriented episodes. Thank you very much. I love listening and taking part just a wee bit in your conversation. Tony Imbrogno. P.S. Burial also helped Kira to shine and show her heart, and I love her character for growing over the seven seasons. Nana Visitor, as Kira, is a role model and definitely iconic for women and LGBTQ. 
plus there's a plus on there since you wrote this Anthony so yes so alright okay yeah obviously we weren't looking at Veronique Burial through the eyes of the gay viewers of the TV show personally I mean I think Bashir's got more going on if you're gay but that's just me <laughs> it's their own <laughs> Yeah, he's, I mean, you know what, he's given us a perspective on it that we didn't have, which is great. I, I, I like to be able yeah. to, to see if there's something that's appealing to other people who have a different perspective on things. I think that's great to have. So I'm, I'm very cool with that. Um, you know, overall, that's that's good. I just I found his character to be boring, and I'm sure there's female characters who are out there as eye candy that pe- you know people who aren't attracted to them would say oh the only purposes they have out there is to be eye candy and it's a it's a valid criticism when that happens so yeah you know no problem well, let's um, let's be honest let's be honest guys what was lita's main attraction when she started being on the show what was her key main attraction at any point that she was on the show <laughs> you know nobody's she, she looking didn't really at her face anything to anything really i didn't think Not other really. than tna yeah, and I knew I knew that Kira had a big presence in the LGBTQ plus community, so I did know that that Kira was big on that as well. So yeah, fair play. So, All right. So so Andy, so let's let's ask the question, and somebody can play along if they want. So if we had a choice, if we were gay, yep, who would we? Who would you? So you've picked Bashir. Yeah, I think Bashir's got a lot going on. If you're gay, he's got he's got the cut glass accent. He's not a bad looking bloke. I mean, he never gets his top off, to be fair to Tony. So, you know. But he he did attract Nana Visitor in real life. Mm. And one thing I will say in Bashir's, um, in, in favour of, of Julian Bashir, is he's got hotter as he's got older, by all accounts. Mm, true, true. You know, he, he's quite hot in Game of Thrones. He doesn't yeah, even get up and walk. Yeah, he just kind of sits there, though. <laughs> yeah, well, all right. He's, 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 what else has he been? He's been in something else recently. I can't he was in was. he was in Gotham. He played Ray Shaw. Well, he was Rasal Ghul in, in Gotham. Yeah. Yes, you're absolutely right. So, so uh, if you're going for the the Silver Fox, but she has got that going on as well. What about you? Uh, well, <clears throat> well, I mean, the easy choice would be Andrew Robinson because we wouldn't. I wouldn't have to change my name, or he wouldn't have to change his. <laughs> So I mean, you know, looking at practically. You, I mean, so if you got married, you'd be you'd be Bill Robinson Robinson. <laughs> exactly. So I'm gonna go with Andrew Robinson. Oh, okay, you're gonna go with Garrick or with Andy Robinson? It, well, no, well, I mean, well, you know, <laughs> because you go if you're going into if you're going into fan fiction slash territory though, then that's me and Bashir and you and Garrick. That that takes us in a whole different arena, my friend. Uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> Well, so, we you know, well, well, we I, have I, hung I don't mean Andy. To sidestep so, the question. Well, I, just, yes. I, I honestly don't. <laughs> but you're going have, to. <laughs> well, I am only because I'd have to sit and think about this more. It's not something that's ever occurred to me, and and I'm just trying to think, and I'm I'm sure I'm like passing up on characters, you know. I, I mean, you know, I mean, casts of television shows are generally good-looking people, men yeah. and women alike. Even so, when they cast nerdy dorks, they're always attractive. Yeah, so I'm thinking if you think hard enough, you could probably, just about any character in the show, you could find a moment where they have sex appeal to someone who is attracted to that particular group. So O'Brien's a, O'Brien's a bit of a burr. Yeah, but so my, my thought process is I would really have to give this a lot of thought to come up with somebody. Oh, you know you'd be with Jack from the from the Jack Pack. <laughs> Paul, Paul, you want to go out? Hmm? Or maybe what's his name? Uh, who's who's the one the one who cries all the time? Because <laughs> he's 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 sensitive. <laughs> there you go. Yes, he's sensitive and he likes to stay that way. 
There you go, Tony. That bit was just for you. And thank I you, hope you liked thank it. you, Tony, yeah. for giving us a different perspective and something to talk about. Yeah, Pre- appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, Bill and I are comfortable enough in our sexuality to to listen and, and chat to you on that level. Paul sadly isn't. Anyway. Anyway. So I guess that's it for this time. What are we doing next time? It's the CGA five five eight. There good. you go. There's me next time. That's it. <laughs> So you want Blaine Dowler to, to, to fly from Canada to England to kick your butt? <laughs> he's, he's not allowed out of the country either, and if he was, he wouldn't be allowed to land. So I think I'm safe. All right, there we go. Next time. Oh, do you want me to do it properly? I'll do it properly if you want. Don't, yeah, don't let him intimidate you. You do it the way you want to do it. <laughs> Next time, an all-new episode of Listen to the Prophets. It's the Siege of AR-558. On the front lines of a bitter conflict. When we landed here, there were 150 of us. We're down to 43. The battle scars run deep. These people have been through a lot. And a long and deadly standoff. We'll have to even out the odds. Rests on one final showdown. We're as good as dead! Not yet, we are. But can Cisco and his crew escape alive? On the next Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Wait. No movies in it. Danger, Will Robinson. I thought it was. Fi- I thought this was AR five five nine. Son of a. AR five five eight exploded six months after we were left here. Bye, everybody. Listen to the prophets. At Deep Space Nine podcast is a two true freaks presentation. It is hosted by Andrew Leyland and Paul Spataro. The music and sound clips used in the show are copyright CBS and Paramount Entertainment. If you'd like to buy stuff from Amazon, and who doesn't, why not drop by the twotruefreaks.com website, where if you click the little link that we have there, it will take you straight through that site. And whilst it won't cost you any extra, we'll put a few shekels in our tip jar, which helps create content like this. We very much hope you enjoyed listening to The Prophets. Every episode is dedicated to the memory of our pal, Sean Engel. Uh, was that a dog, or did somebody grunt? Oh, okay. I heard... Uh. I, I thought maybe it was Andy. Sound like uh. Andy does make those sounds. Yes, he does. Nah.